It's very powerful, very powerful, and, and it's well done. It uh, covers a broad range of problems that we have today in the world. I think that it's something that everybody needs to see. I was shocked by CPS being involved, and I was shocked by the secrecy, uh, uh, you know, keeping the secrets from the parents of what the, the children are being told and what they're being taught and not being made aware of it and secretly indoctrinating these kids uh, is absolutely shocking. It's absolutely horrible and it needs to stop. I was shocked. A lot of different things are pulling together. I don't think the, the expanse of how bad it is, people don't know about it. All of the different elements of what's happening in the world today, somehow you pulled it to within two hours and 15 minutes. What stood out against uh, to me is um, I've, I've been watching uh, Klaus, the World uh, Economic Forum, uh, the Great Reset. I see that thing coming like crazy, but I didn't realize the association with dysphoria. And it's important to see that this thing has been in, inculcated into the school system and that it is now in place. It's not coming, it's in place. You think, oh, that can't be going on. And, and the more I watched it, I thought, this is exactly what's going on. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> if you find this podcast helpful, be sure to subscribe and share the show to help us reach more people. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. Well, mm-hmm. I hope everyone had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Yes. Yes. Fun festivities and enjoying the last bits of summer. Although we still have quite a bit of summer left, I would say. Yeah. Do you know what movie that line is from? Um, I, love the, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to guess. Apocalypse Now. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I've never even seen that. Oh, it's a great movie. Whatever. It's a, it's a classic war <laughs> film. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Robert okay. Duvall when he was in his uh, late 20s, early 30s. Okay, maybe I'll, maybe, maybe yeah, I'll go back Actually, he was it. probably old. I don't know how old he was in that. But uh, Did we ever talk about Soylent Green? No. <laughs> no, we were going to. Oh my gosh, you guys. Okay, so since we're on the movie topic, we will get into our segment today because uh, we are bringing on Erin Lee. Now, mm-hmm. she's been on the podcast before and a large portion, uh, I'm sorry, a large portion of her um, testimony, if you will, interview, mm-hmm. we spoke to her, what episode was that? Episode 198. I'll be sure to leave a link to it in the show notes, but yes. there's extra extra material that we wanted to to bring to you Mm -hmm. from our most recent interview yeah because we collect a lot of a lot of footage a lot of footage footage. so there's always good good snippets of information yeah so i feel like i can't talk today like no maybe you're just confused today Uh, maybe i'm making more coffee or something but i don't like you because you're dangerous okay well going back to we were talking you're talking about movie references Mm -hmm. and um Soylent Green. Soylent Green. So this is a, a, 
old sci-fi movie. I think it was 70, oh, I want to say it was 71. I, Char- I, starts Charlton Heston. Yeah, you're you're right. <clears throat> so, and the only reason <laughs> the only reason I went to look at it was because when we were interviewing Rob McCoy, mm-hmm. he he makes this comparison to um Soylent Green. Soylent Green yeah. with with what's happening with, you know, the weird AI economic forum. Yeah, he's talking transhumanism. about transhumanism. He's talking about Noah Yuval Harari. <laughs> right. And, and he says this guy's creepy, soylent green creepy. And I was like, and at first I didn't understand the reference. Right. And I thought, what is he talking about? But then I did a little research because always when we interview people, always go back going back and I don't want to say fact checking, but just No, like, I want to know what he's talking about. Yeah, I so want to know what he's talking so about. So we're not ignorant, right? So, so we went, look, looked it up and it says, it's 1973. 73. That's a good year. Uh-huh. Dystopian thriller film. Okay. It was, I don't even know. How, how do you describe it? It's inter- uh, yeah. So it's a typical 70s. Yeah. Okay. Um, wait, 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 wait. No, I have, re- I have the plot here. You read the plot and then we can discuss. Okay. Because we did go back and we we rented it and watched it just to see. <laughs> yeah, just to see. By 2022. And that's <laughs> that's what it, that's and that's what you know really piqued my interest in the first place was because like other movies, mm-hmm. think about the hoverboards yes. in Back to the Future and um now this by 2022. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not people are going to be starving and, you know, climate global. It's total Greenpeace. Yeah. And you realize, you know, just a side note that Back to the Future came out in 1985 and they went. How far into the future did they go? Oh, about 30 years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So by 2015, we were supposed to have flying cars, Uh hoverboards Uh and the 80s cafe. (laughs) Right. So anyway, here, here's the plot to Soylent Green, and it's S-O-Y-L-E-N-T. Okay. Okay. So by 2022, the cumulative effects of overpopulation and pollution have caused ecocide? Ecocide. Ecocide. I'm going to have to look that word up. You guys are retarded. Oh, okay. So ecocide describes the mass destruction of nature by humans. Oh, it's climate change. <laughs> Stop. It's man-made climate change. Ecocide threatens all human populations who are dependent on natural resources for maintaining ecosystems and ensuring their ability to support future generations. Okay. That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> That's from the independent expert panel uh-huh. for the legal, legal something. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So. Is that there? No, no, no. There's okay, more here. So, so, right. so the cumulative effects of overpopulation and pollution have caused ecocide, leading to severe worldwide shortages of food, water, and housing. New York City has a population of 40 million, and only the elite can afford spacious apartments, clean water, and natural food. The homes of the elite are fortified with security systems and bodyguards and their tenants. Usually, they include concubines who are referred to and used as, quote, furniture. Uh We'll talk talk about that. The poor live in squalor, haul water from communal spigots, and eat highly highly processed wafers, soylent red, soylent yellow, and the latest product, far more flavorful and nutritious, soylent green. That's not from the movie, is it? No. 
Yeah, so it was a weird show. It's like, beyond weird. Not even so. Yes, they did refer to these women in the show mm-hmm. as furniture, and literally the guy walks in <laughs> and tells her, "Get in the bed." Yeah, <laughs> I, we're just looking, going, "What is this?" What in the world? It's very seventies. Uh. <sighs> hypersexualized yeah well for sure yeah it's it's uh i don't recommend i don't recommend watching it no i was just doing research i knew i knew what it was and kind of what it was about just because i'm a film nerd but i had never actually watched it yeah and it's interesting how it seems like uh and as bad as 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 hypersexualized as things are now it seems like they're in that era, things were really blatant. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there was stuff in there you're going, now, why? What is the point of this? Right. Oh, yeah. Other than you just want some nudity. Right. Mm. It, it's, it's really, it's really. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't, there weren't people walking around like full nude or anything. No, but it was a lot of. <laughs> There were there implied. were a lot of there were a lot of uh, references to yeah and in innuendos yeah, to alluding to yeah yeah <laughs> and well and, you know because we were talking about like uh, Top Gun if you compare the first Top Gun to Top Gun Maverick and the first Top Gun is very sexual I mean it is it is blatant eighties mm-hmm. over the top and you know there's there's overt you know, a sex scene in it. And if you compare it to Maverick, Maverick is, it's, it's implied, but it is not nearly as. That's an that, excellent film. Yeah, Excellently clean. Yeah. You really, film. You, you really don't have to fast forward through anything no. in Maverick. I mean, there's stuff that's implied, but, um, nothing that's shown. Yeah. Right. Maverick's a really good movie. Well, and while we're speaking of kind of appropriateness of films, mm-hmm. uh, there have been we've got several questions from people, audience members who listen, uh, whether or not can we bring teens yes. to come and watch Dysphoria at the red carpet. And so we actually made um, different packages to help with cost wise. Mm-hmm. If you want to bring your teens, I would say, what would you say? I would say um, high school. High school, I think age yeah, is and, appropriate. And junior high parental discretion advised. Yeah. Because our kids, our kids will be there. We have three three girls mm-hmm. and they're five, eleven, and thirteen. Um, they won't be staying and watching the film. Right. But they'll be there with us. Yeah. I yeah, it's so if you've watched the mind polluters, mm-hmm. then you kind of know how we roll. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and our purpose is not to, not to try to just elicit a response. We have to show you, you have to show people a certain amount to get the point across. Mm -hmm. And so. Of exactly what's happening. Yeah. You have to see it for yourself. Yeah. So there, there is some disturbing stuff in it. Um, Listen, the, consider the subject matter. We are talking about the transgender issue. That means we're talking about homosexuality. Uh, we're talking about, you know, just what all of this is. Now, it's 
So yeah, parental discretion advised, but there is a group rate, right? For, for. Yep. We got, we have tickets for uh, groups of five and even the larger groups of 12. So it'll help reduce the cost even more. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that is coming up the end of this month, September 29th, September 29th at life church in Noblesville. And, and did you buy a dress yet? I did, and I'm <laughs> excited. <laughs> when we say I, it's a red carpet event, we mean it's a red carpet event. So yeah. get dressed up. And our girls are getting dressed up. Mm-hmm. They're excited. They can't wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying to decide if I'm going to try to wear a tie or if I'm going to wear my ascot. I love the ascot. It's so. <laughs> and it doesn't strangle me, so I like that. <laughs> well, I just like the color and the pattern of the ascot. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you won't let me wear camouflage or anything. So. <sighs> You guys, the struggle is real here. <laughs> I'd be happy just wearing jeans and a t-shirt, but that's for the next screening, <laughs> right? So not this one. This one's going to be the fun one, right? So September 29th, as as you know, is the big premiere. It's of a fundraiser. Yeah, it's a fundraiser event to help us with distribution and just supporting the ministry and what the year looks like ahead. Yeah, and you know we we've talked about this a little bit, but. Um, with the films, with films like what we make, um, the uh, a lot of people ask, you know, well, I'll just wait. When's it coming to streaming? Well, it's not going to come to streaming until next year. Yeah, and the reason is it's it's financial. Um, streaming, it will go to streaming eventually, but we need to connect with people face to face first. And we saw the 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 power of that with the mind polluters. And so we want to do that again. And, um, and it's expensive uh, when you are, when you're, when you're showing a film live in person, it's an expensive thing to do. And so that's why we're uh, holding a fundraiser so Mm -hmm. that Life Church is helping us put that on so that we can kind of kick this off and be able to take it to other cities, Mm -hmm. other states, other states and, and. Show it around. So, so with that, we've got Erin, who's in Colorado. Right. So Erin Lee, she's a devoted wife and mother of three who advocates for parental rights, transparency, and the preservation of childhood innocence and education. Erin's passion for protecting children stems from her daughter's experience of being coerced into a secret sexuality club at school. Now she shares her story to empower parents and make sure that their voices are heard. So it has been wonderful working with Aaron in Colorado and seeing all the things that are happening there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know, I know I'm looking forward to getting to Colorado. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to hear a little bit, uh, kind of repeat of her story here. Mm-hmm. Her whole story, um, fleshed out is in episode 198. I'll leave a link to it. There's a link to it in there, but let's hear from Aaron. And then we've got, uh, a lot of unused, audio here from Aaron. So here we go. So I'm going to have you first just introduce yourself. Tell me who you are and how did you get into this transgender um, ideology? So name's Aaron Lee. I'm a mom of three from Northern Colorado. And I was truly an unassuming, I would venture to say sleepwalking parent prior to 2021, May of 2021, um, had not paid any attention to the transgender issue. I I knew knew that kind of person existed. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I was busy working and raising my three kids. And it was when my daughter was invited to an after-school art club one day. 
she was asked by her art teacher to stay after school in the art room for an art club. And when she got there, it was actually Gender and Sexuality Awareness Club, uh, or GSA, what was formerly known as Gay Straight Alliance. And the art teacher whom she trusted had invited in another district employee, an outside woman who runs an organization called Skittles for kids five to 11 and Splash for kids 12 and up to talk about gender and sex. And in this meeting, this woman used flags to describe what she called umbrella terms or defining words. She told the kids, if you're not fully comfortable in your biological sex, that means you're transgender. And she told them queer is a term you can use while you're still figuring out your sexuality. She talked about polyamory, suicide, told the kids that these labels that she had just given them makes them more likely to kill themselves. She talked about puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She told the kids that their families might not be safe, only they know when it's safe to talk to their families about this meeting and about their identities and that they didn't have to tell their parents where they were. And the art teacher even pulled my daughter aside as she was leaving and said, remember, you don't have to tell your parents about this. So we were thrust into the transgender issue because my daughter came home and handed me that transgender flag that she had been given. And I asked her, does this represent you? First, I had to Google it. I didn't know what the flag even meant. So I Googled it and I asked her, does this flag represent you? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm transgender. That's why I'm so uncomfortable in my body. Was this, this is, you're, you're telling me this is the same day. Yeah. So she receives an invite on a Tuesday afternoon right before school is out. In her last period of the day, her teacher was the art teacher for that class. And she texts us to stay after school for art club, which she truly thought that's what it was. And it was actually gender and sexuality awareness that same day. And so it was a 90 minute meeting. And in that 90 minutes, they convinced her that she was transgender. They pandered to her vulnerability, to her discomfort in her barely 12-year-old pubescent body. I mean, she had just started puberty. Of course, she's uncomfortable in her body. What 12-year-old girl is fully comfortable with their body? I'm 36 and I'm not fully comfortable in my body. So in that 90-minute meeting, they convinced her that her discomfort and her social awkwardness amounted to her being transgender. Essentially, they said, you know, Wear this label and your discomfort will go away. If you're transgender, you will feel fully comfortable in your body and everything will make sense. And that was not the case for her. Mm -hmm. So thoughts? No, no, I just, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most, you know, over and over again is with everything that happens subtly in the schools and all of this I, you know, it's 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 advertising, it's propaganda in, you know, with all of the LGBT and you know, all of these flags and everything mm-hmm. that we see. And it's not just the schools. It's it's online. It's on social media. It's on, um, you know, live television, you know, mm-hmm. with the commercials and everything. This continual, repetitive, nonstop cycle of. Should I say programming? It is programming. There's a reason why it's called <laughs> programming. Yeah, because they're programming you. You know, and then for it to take just being separated from her parents mm-hmm. in in this meeting with her peers, with another supposed trusted adult, mm-hmm. in 90 minutes, it spiraled her family into over a year 
yeah. years long of heartache. Yeah. And she talks about, and she'll talk about here in a little bit, about how she gets attacked online so much because despite the fact that this happened in 90 minutes to her daughter, she gets accused all the time of there's no way that happened in 90 minutes. It was only because your daughter was already knew that she was transgender. They just helped to bring it out of her. And it's just, it's, these people have no shame. Mm -hmm. There is nothing. Facts don't matter to them. It doesn't matter what you say. They've got an out, right? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, think about the whole sort of, they, I would say the platform that they stand on. It's all false. Yeah. It's all fake. Yeah. You're, you're trying to be the opposite sex. It's not reality. It's not real. Why are you such a hater? I'm, I'm, (laughs) (laughs) you bigot. Literally, (laughs) truth is what's on trial here. Like, you see it everywhere. When your eyes are open to it, you just see it for what it is. All right. Let's hear some more from Aaron. So, my daughter was very into anthropomorphic art. She loved Warrior Cats books, Wings of Fire books. These are series where animals have human-like qualities, live human-like lives. And I've learned that there's a serious connection between that kind of art and anime. Our daughter was really into anime. There's a connection between that and transgender identity. In fact, most of the adolescent girls from families I've spoken to who've gone through transgender confusion were really into anime and anthropomorphic art. And this is a way that predators get them online. There's a website called DeviantArt com that I know a lot of people infiltrate through Discord, through these chat platforms where kids are sharing anthropomorphic art stories. That was one of the things that our daughter fell into after Art Club. She got really into this series, Tubbo and Ranboo, which were, I, I don't know, I looked into them. They were transgender artist people that people would write fandom stories about them. And it was something that she fell really deeply into. In fact, that's where she pulled her transgender male name from. She called herself Toby as a variation of this tubbo that she was really into. So does that also correlate with the furries? So there, I believe there's a connection between anthropomorphic art and furries. That's something that has definitely popped up in schools. There's been a lot of controversy around whether or not furries exist. I've heard from parents in Wellington Middle School where my daughter was abused that there are people hissing, wearing cattails, wearing cat ears, asking for litter boxes, and you're not allowed to call it out. The teachers just let it happen. They let them be distracting because this furry identity falls under the LGBTQ umbrella. So we should kind of flesh out her story a little bit here. You you should go back and listen to it on episode 198, but her, and she's going to talk a little bit more about this, but she, um, the, they, they found out very quickly that this was intentional by the school Mm -hmm. and the principal was in on it. The guidance counselor, I mean, basically the whole school, the whole administration was in on it. Well, and you'll and you'll have to to realize too. One, if you just Google this topic and this issue of mm. transgenderism, and you will find a whole slew of articles, whether from the schools, whether from parents, there everyone is talking about the role that the schools are taking to hide these these transgender ideologies from parents. And doing things behind their back. This is not an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. It's happening all across the country. (laughs) 
just Google it. Yeah. <laughs> and she'll, she'll talk here in a minute about the, uh, how it's being worked into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And we've talked, of course, we've talked many times on this program about you have to be those parents, you know, read the curriculum, things like that. But it's very subtle mm-hmm. in a lot of it. They can work, they can work these themes into story problems in the math book. Mm-hmm. You know, and sim- they do simply by making it about you know a homosexual couple, right? John and or climate change. Yeah, John I'm, and Joe mm-hmm. uh, want to have a baby together. I mean, it would be something like that, or some sort of race related. Right. I, I mean, it, literally, if you look at the curriculum, I, we've seen it with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. And Christian schools are not immune to this. No. And she's going to talk a little bit about that here. So, all right, next thing. Prior to art club, my daughter is my husband's mini me. They are thick as thieves. They are just absolutely two of a kind. They have the best relationship. And when this happened, he didn't know how to react. As any parent would, when your daughter comes home out of the blue and says, this happened to me at school and I'm transgender now, how is a dad supposed to react? And so he didn't want to say anything he couldn't take back. He didn't want to do anything that would negatively affect their relationship in a way that he could not come back from. And so he just chose not to talk to her. He didn't know what to say. And he was mad. He was mad at the school. He was mad that this had happened. He he knew he had to get a a hold of that anger before he approached her about the subject. And so weeks went by without them talking. And that was perhaps the hardest thing besides her becoming suicidal for me to experience was watching this decline in a relationship that had been the most beautiful relationship I've ever seen. This daddy-daughter bond that they had. I just watched that start to fade away. And I'm sure that contributed to her being really sad because her dad was her best friend. Um, they're better now. They're, they're back where they were, you know, two years ago, but it was hard to watch him not know what to say to his little girl who he always knew what to say to her. She was who he went to for everything. And in this moment of this happened to me at school and now I'm transgender, he didn't know what to say. And he had never been faced with that before. And it, I watched it hurt him. I mean, we both cried all night that night. And so it, it, it affected their relationship for sure. And it affected him as a dad. Um, and through that, like I said, he, he has a lot of regret of things he would do differently in that situation. Because when we were intentionally left in the dark about what was happening with our daughter, he was intentionally caught off guard by what had happened. And so he is a parent, he felt like a failure because he didn't, he didn't have the answers. He didn't know what to do in that moment. Parents ask me, what can I do to prevent this with my kids? And the first thing I say, well, three, three things. Number one, teach your kids early and often that they're fearfully and wonderfully made that there is nothing wrong with the way God made them, no matter what anyone may tell them. Tell them that no one should ask them to label themselves. Doesn't matter what the label is, you're just a kid, you're just you. No one should tell you you're this political party or you're this gender or any of those labels. And no one should ask you to keep a secret. (laughs) Safe adults do not ask kids to keep secrets. And so I think just being brutally honest and truthful with our kids and with our community is the only way we're going to get through this. Pretending this issue doesn't exist only makes it worse. 
I've experienced that firsthand. When we ignored it, our daughter got worse. She got more confused and more depressed. But when we talked about it honestly and head on is when she realized this, this wasn't my idea. Mm-hmm. This isn't real. This isn't me. And so without those honest, hard conversations, I think my daughter would either still be in, in the transgender identity cloud or maybe dead. We had to speak truth. That's so important for people to understand that this is being thrust upon kids to believe. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not reality. It's not true. Um, That's been the hardest thing for my husband is I get a lot of criticism online since I've gone public with what happened. And a lot of the criticism is there's no way in a 90 minute meeting that your daughter was confused into being transgender. Those feelings were already there. She already knew this was her true self. We just helped her to express it to you. And that's been the hardest thing to deal with people marginalizing what happened in that meeting. 12 year old little girls who want to be included in something, who want to be part of something, who are seeking social connection are incredibly influential. In that 90 minute meeting, she went from completely not understanding what transgender was to claiming to be a boy. So in that 90 minute meeting, they absolutely implanted these ideas in her head. And the reason I know that for sure is because recently we let her watch What is a Woman, the Matt Walsh documentary. And she looked at me and she said, Mom, why didn't I understand this was happening to me when it was happening? Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, that's by design. You were vulnerable. You were an easy target. And they took advantage of you. And they put these ideas in your head. And she goes, Mom, how do I protect other little girls from going through this? I was like, you're doing it right now. You let me tell your story. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful. In telling the truth about what is happening Other parents are able to protect their kids like I wasn't able to protect you. So prior to Art Club, I admittedly was not opening every book that my daughter and son were reading. I was not reviewing every assignment that came across their desk before they did it. But as I started to do research, I I learned that they had been planting seeds in my daughter's head for years. Actually, when she started sixth grade in sixth grade English, she was assigned a book called George. And I didn't think anything of it. It was called George. She was 11. And as I found out about a year after Art Club incident, the teacher was still assigning that book and other parents brought it as a concern to me. And this book is entirely about transgenderism. It's about a little boy who wants to be a girl named Melissa, who talks about pornography, talks about chopping his private parts off. He talks about wearing girls' underwear, playing with himself in the bathtub, kissing other boys. And this had been assigned as a sixth grade English assignment to my 11-year-old. And I also learned that the art teacher and other teachers at that school have constant pronoun conversation. When you come into their classroom, they ask the kids, what's your preferred name and pronouns? And these are planting subtle seeds in our kid's head. It wasn't like transgenderism hit her in the face in art club because they had already planted all these seeds to groom her for that conversation in private. So it's, it's infiltrated air, every area of the curriculum. It's in you know, social emotional learning with young kids. I actually learned that my seven-year-old at the time had peace circles in his social emotional learning class, which is where all the seven and eight-year-olds got in a circle and talked about their feelings and what happened in the circle stayed in the circle. 
So they were already priming my little guy for secret conversations that we don't talk to mom about. I mean, they're inserting pronoun and, and transgenderism into math problems and science homework. And it just seems to have infiltrated every area of the curriculum. And it's virtually undetectable, which is why I maintain that the only way to protect your kids is to remove them from government schools. Because even if you read all the curriculum, you might not catch these themes of transgenderism in their work. The, the story about her, about her dad, and there's more of that story in dysphoria mm -hmm. and the relationship there and how it was, it was tough love from dad mm -hmm. that really brought her back. Well, think about the way that the Lord designed the family unit. The mm -hmm. dad is the head. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's, that's the authority who's, yeah. who's obeying God, who's shepherding his family, protecting his family, mm -hmm. you know, so of course you're supposed to have that strong male role model and figure in your life. Yeah. And, and the fact that I, I can completely empathize with him for feeling like a failure, but there is no way in the world that you could see something like this coming. No. I mean, this, this is, this is like your child being assaulted mm -hmm. and, and you feel like a failure because you weren't there being her bodyguard. Mm -hmm. You know, I get it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I would, I would have a really long struggle with that kind of thing as well. But okay. Last segment here with Aaron talking about, uh, about the role of the church. Okay. Here we go. Youth pastors. Youth pastors need to start talking about this with the kids. I moved my daughter to a private Christian school, a small private Christian school. And guess what? There are kids who identify as transgender in her class of 18 students at her private Christian school which tells me it has permeated all areas of society for these kids. And so whether or not they experience it at school, on TV, I mean, there's transgender themes in cartoons now. In the Disney Channel, on Netflix cartoons, they're talking about transgenderism. So we've got to inoculate our kids from being inundated with this messaging. And I think that starts at our churches, you know, children's church, the youth pastors at the very least with our teenagers should be talking about how you're perfect the way you are, how no matter what society or influences tell you, you are perfectly and wonderfully made the way you are. God does not make mistakes. And if we start to arm our children with that mentality before they're inundated with the transgender agenda, then they're going to be well more prepared to thwart it. I think it's interesting what you're just talking about and, and thinking of families who are, they don't know anything about church. Mm. They don't, they don't have that foundation. Um, is there, is there anything you can say to them to not be afraid to go into church to a church and speak about it? Because listen, we have churches who are affirming yeah. now. And that's, and so how can you, how can you, um, help them understand the difference or tell them what they're looking for as they visit churches? Mm. Yeah. I, gosh, that's hard. It, uh, it is like, that's a hard question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, for us, I mean, we were at a church, we experienced this and we realized that they weren't talking about it at all. They weren't talking about homosexuality. They weren't talking about transgenderism. They weren't talking about abortion. They weren't talking about any of the hot topic issues that affect 
normal families like mine. Um, and so I, I caution people that when you go into a church, look for people who are talking about it. That's what drew us to the, the community where we are now. Our pastor was just willing to talk about it every week, that there are males and females and God doesn't make mistakes. And it's as simple as that. And I would caution people looking for a church home to look for people who are passionate about talking about the heart issues because they affect us and they need to be talked about. And we need to have community with like-minded people who will support us in situations like what happened with my daughter. Is, can you speak to, is just going to church once a week enough? Mm. So prior to art club, we were really lazy Christians. We went to church, but we were just going through the motions. And clearly that was not enough to protect our daughter and protect our family from this transgender ideology. I realize now that faith community is the most important community you can have for your children. That had, had she had more relationships with people at church, had we asked her to go to youth group, she wasn't going to youth group at our old church. Had we given her a community of solid principled kids who know that there's nothing wrong with the way God made them, we could have protected her from this. So I, I think it's important to look at church as your community. You're looking for a group of people who will support you in any situation. And that starts with people who are willing to talk about hard things. Oh, isn't that fascinating? I, I don't even, <laughs> it's hard to hear that over again, mm -hmm. knowing the churches that we have spoken to who have flat out said, we can't talk about those things here. Right. It's really sad because I can tell you um, in the chur churches in America today and just going back to uh, George Barna's new worldview inventory, 57% mm -hmm. of lead pastors don't even hold a biblical worldview. And so do you think out of those, out, out of the 43% that may, you have a, you have a likelihood of walking into a church that is not biblically sound. Um, you, you have a higher chance of walking into, yeah. into one of those churches than one that's actually preaching the word. I think it's important to, um, I mean, of course this starts with church leadership, pastors, mm -hmm. elders that, um, to be, you know, uh, Pastor Nathan Peternell from Life Church in Noblesville, mm -hmm. he said it best. He said, "He said uh, you have to you have to wake up to the fact that you're in a war. Yeah, you're in a war. You better start. You're acting in the battle. Like it. Start acting like it. Start acting like it. Um, and there there are just some people in church leadership that just they do not want to acknowledge that this is a this is a a, a serious spiritual war mm -hmm. and um because the churches are supposed to be equipping the saints right. this is not a place to go and hide right but but it, what's also important as we've seen is that the youth leaders they need reinforcement mm -hmm. i mean they they need if they're not getting guidance on this subject in particular from church leadership um, that's, that's like having a general out in the field who's calling for reinforcements and you're saying, no, you're fine. 
I mean, he's getting overrun. They are getting overrun by this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already happened there. The, this ideology is not coming. It's inside oh, the yeah. church. I guarantee it. Um, and there's someone in your congregation who is being affected by this right now. And it is so destructive. So I, I would just encourage lead pastors, um, uh, elders in the church to, uh, to come together and and gather around those those youth pastors, those youth leaders, and help to guide them, reinforce them, because support them, support pray for them. them, yeah, and and you have to give them very clear guidance on this. Um, if you're if you're not sure and you need to understand more about what this ideology is about, then come see dysphoria. Yeah. This is this is the point of the film is to educate the church on on what is happening. What you heard there at the beginning, those testimonials, those the there's pastors in there yeah. that are talking about <laughs> what they've learned. And I knew about this, but I didn't realize this. And that's that's the whole point of the film is mm-hmm. to is to educate. So if you're in Indiana or you're anywhere near September 29th, you should come to our red carpet premiere. Absolutely. Live church. <laughs> Yeah, Find so. all the information at dysphoria.com, dysphoriamovie.com. You don't even know the website? I do. I said it, <laughs> dysphoriamovie.com. Okay. That's all I got. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for listening through to the end. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And share this with your family and friends. Until next time, march on, saints, and be filled with the Spirit. You're everyone's problem. <laughs>